Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, September 24th, we're studying Proverbs chapter 16, verses 25 through 17, verse 6. Only when our way is shaped by the Lord and his wisdom will we walk in life. The way that seems right to us only leads to death. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me back on. As we get started this morning, Pastor Appold, what do we need to know about the book of Proverbs as a whole, wisdom literature in the Old Testament that will help us into the Proverbs that we're looking at today? Sure. The um, It's always good to know um, con- the context of any any passage that you're looking at, especially when you're doing kind of like we're doing, which is just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, it's a little difficult and different in Proverbs because you, you're not, it's not like a, um, a story that's building, right? It's, so it doesn't, you don't necessarily have certain characters that have a backstory. Um, that being said, there are certain themes in the book of Proverbs. And I think what we'll find today as we go through um, the Proverbs that we have, Tim, is the, that I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this before, but the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And those two ways kind of charting out, here's what the path of wisdom looks like, here's what the path of folly looks like, that gets ex- extrapolated or analyzed in so many different ways in the book of Proverbs that the point is to help you see what path am I on and what path should I be on, what path do I want to be on. Yeah, that's definitely a theme, the idea of two ways, the way of wisdom, the way of folly. Solomon's put it the way of righteousness or the way of wickedness as well. And those themes continue to come forward. You're right that there's no real narrative. Although I I have talked about characters, I'm putting air quotes up right now, characters in the book of Proverbs. You know, in the first couple chapters, there was lady wisdom, there was dame folly. You you meet Mm -hmm. a sluggard more than once, you meet the worthless man, you meet the fool. So there are, uh, quote, characters that you see their actions play out, but it's not as one continuous narrative. You get more like snapshots, maybe, into a person's life here and there. What does the way of wisdom look like at this moment? What does the way of folly look like in comparison to it? And that's generally how the book of Proverbs works. So go ahead, go ahead. One other thing before we get into it, the the book of Proverbs, and this is true of the Bible, um, more generally speaking, but it speaks in kind of universal categories. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes us, as modern readers, that makes us uncomfortable because we always, you know, with any rule, there's always an exception, right? And so we get so interested in the exceptions and qualifying everything that we say that then you come to Proverbs and it's like, look, this is the way of wisdom. It's like this. And it's just, it speaks very general, very universal. Um, And that's what I love about the book because it touches on, it gets, it goes against kind of our modern way of thinking everyone is an exceptional case but it reminds us there really is such a thing as human nature. And there is such a thing as also sinful nature that that will manifest itself in these 
particular ways. Right, right. Let's go ahead and see then how that plays out in today's text. We'll take it about half for this pro for this side of the show and then half on the other side. And we'll just sure. go go through them one by one or bounce around a little bit as, as it comes. Proverbs 16, beginning at verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. That was through verse 31 of chapter 16. I'll pause there. So we'll just start with that very first verse, Pastor Appled. Verse 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, we've we've seen this previously in the book of Proverbs. Back in chapter 14, verse 12, we got the same thing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So Solomon repeats himself here. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we understand this verse? How how is it that that the way that I think is right is going to lead me to death? <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, why does he have to repeat it? Um, because apparently people are forgetful, and this is what I was <laughs> saying before about um, you, when you start to really think about human nature, um, it's easy to to kind of um, you know we want to be um, positive, right, Tim? We want to be optimists. So if we, if we think about everyone as being sort of inherently good and knowing what's right and things in the world are very clear and obvious to us, um, then that's actually, that's, that's, I think, a sign of, um, of our folly, right? To, to think that, um, I know what's best for myself, but that's, that's so common for us. Um, this is why in our, our church is using um, setting one of the divine service right now. And it starts off, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So this idea of self-deception, that this is what it looks like to be a a fallen human being is that we deceive ourselves. And so we don't know on our own what, how things, you know, what's the best path for me to follow. And you can, you can hear people say things like this all the time. um, Even people who are not, um, Christians who are not necessarily informed by biblical wisdom, they recognize this, right? Um, my actions, the choices that I make had all kinds of unintended consequences, right? So I, I made this choice when I was 25, and it wasn't until I was 35 that I realized, oh my gosh, that was a terrible choice. Um, that was a terrible thing to do. So a couple of things at play here. One, you mentioned self-deception, that, that we think we know what is right. Solomon calls us to recognize maybe you don't. One, one thing that stands out about this verse in particular is that the two lines are not in parallel in the sense that one is the negative half of it and one's the positive. The first half of the verse speaks, this is what you think is right, but here's the contrast. This is the way that it actually leads. There's not the, there's not the positive side of it in this verse, although I think it's it's there in the book of Proverbs as a whole. So, I mean, this verse doesn't say that there's absolutely no way that a person can figure out the right way to go. It's yeah. that the way that I think on my own, that won't lead me the right way. But implied, 
at least in this verse yeah. alone, and then ex- explicated in the rest of the book, is that there actually is a way to, to go that is right. It just doesn't come sure. from inside me. Yeah, you need a guide, right? You're uh, If you're hiking in the woods and you've never been there before and the trail is not um, paved for you, you know, you don't have all the road signs or the trail markers there. Um, it's really helpful to have somebody who's been through the woods and who can tell you, oh, yeah, I know the way to the cabin or to where, whatever the destination is. Um, that's what I think in Hebrews this comes out. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The uh, I've, I've heard people talk about this as like Jesus is the trailblazer, right? He, he knows the way. He's gone on the way. And now he comes to us and gives us the Holy Spirit to bring us on that way, the way of faith. Right. So what, I mean, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We don't want to take this too far and say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It's, it's just going to end in death anyway. That would, we don't want to fall <laughs> off on the side of despair. Where does, what is the path that this verse does point us on then? Uh, you mean like, what is this? What would be a, maybe, maybe if I could give you a, uh, a biblical example of yes. how this proverb would, would come out. Think of, um, there, there's any number that we could go to, but think of the original fall. Um, the devil comes to Eve and he says to her, right, um, did God really say all these things? Look at this, look at this fruit. It looks good, right? This is, it's describing, I think, how temptation works. So temptation always, the devil is going to present things to you um, as attractive, as appealing things. So I think in Genesis 3, it says Eve looked at the fruit and she saw that it was, um, I forget the order here, but she saw that it was beautiful and that it was to be desired to make her wise. Um, so it looked good. There was a way that seemed right to Eve, but its but its end was death. I mean, quite literally, that was the judgment that God had promised with that particular piece of fruit. So that's that's a good example historically or biblically of one of these um, how the proverb plays out. And I think we could generalize then into just about every temptation. There is some appealing aspect to sin. Sin appeals to our desires or to our, our passions, to the things that we love. And it, it hides, or we deliberately hide it from ourselves. I mean, there is a um, part of our fallen nature is that we, we are blinded to how things go and we deceive ourselves and um, we ignore what should be obvious to us and say, yeah, actually, if I do this, I know it's contrary to God's word, but it's going to, it's going to come out well for me. I'm reminded of in chapter nine of the book where you have lady wisdom calling out and then lady folly calls out right after her, that there's a lot of similarity in the way that they speak. There's a lot of similarity in the way that they look, but those are all, surface things and, and they they hide the reality well i should say what lady folly does hides the reality of what's behind her she she calls out she speaks she speaks sweetly but solomon is, is very clear if you go there that's going to death and, mm-hmm. and so he's i mean he's he's exposing the reality and i appreciate you bringing out genesis chapter three the fall into sin because i do think it is a good example that that it seemed right to Adam and Eve to do this, but it ended up leading to death. And the reason was because it wasn't actually right. Even though it, it seemed right to them, it wasn't. It's always, it's always struck me when she looks at the fruit and she thinks that it's beautiful and desire to make one wise because she, she shouldn't have thought that, at least not based on what God had said. It, it should not have, based on what God had said, 
I don't think that the fruit should have been desired to make her wise. The fruit should have been avoided so that she wouldn't fall into death. Yeah. Part, I guess my point is, the how do you know whether or not the way is going to lead to <laughs> right or, or you know death or life? It, it goes back to what, what has God said about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so um, as you're talking there, Tim, it makes me think, what what is informing your eyesight? So when you look yeah. at the world, um, you can look, two different people um, can look at the same situation, and one can say, that's, that is a, something that I, I don't want anything to do. And the other person can look at it and say, wow, doesn't that look great? Isn't that the purpose of life? Isn't that the goal? Um, and so uh, if I could put it this way, it's um, your what goes into your ears is going to um, color your eye, or it's going to shape how you view the world. And that's why the, I, I don't know, maybe this is one way to connect these proverbs. The next couple of proverbs talk a lot about um, deception and how um, words and whispers and murmurings, how these things um, stir up all kinds of trouble in the world. And one, one way to see that and think about it is how do, how do the devil's lies, how do they change the way that um, people and even, even Christians um, will perceive the world around them? Um, the world is not just a blank canvas that I take in with my eyes, but I have, even before I look at things, before I inspect the world around me, I have preconceived notions about things. So take us into those those next several proverbs that speak toward this deception. There, there seems to be quite a bit of wisdom concerning the way we talk, which is definitely mm-hmm. a theme we've seen from Solomon elsewhere. Yeah, so if you, um, if you look at verse 27, I, I think there is a, sometimes you get this in Proverbs where it, each verse, you know, seems to kind of stand on its own. But every once in a while you get a, a building through the verses, so one builds on another. And I think you can see this pretty well in 27, 28, 29, and 30. Let me just read those again. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. So you've got the one who's plotting evil, and then parallel to that is we're going to think about his speaking. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Um, so if you, if you just kind of think through, and it's helpful if you can see the text in front of you, um, but you've got the first half of each of those verses describes a certain kind of person, a dishonest man, a worthless man, a man of violence, right? And then in the second half, usually you get some aspect of his of his words. His speech is like fire. He is a whisperer. Um, and then this man of violence, he leads people in a way that's not good. How? Well, not by force, but through deception, through his the deception of his words, so the the character of the person I, that's a, uh, seeing twenty seven twenty eight and twenty nine you're right on the on the paper is very helpful. The character of the person, whether when he's worthless, he's dishonest, he's one of violence, is going to have an influence on what is coming out of his mouth yeah. and how he's using those words. Right. Um, so your your the 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 heart. Um, uh, how does Jesus say it? He talks about the the good tree bearing good fruit. Mm. Um, or the wicked tree, the bad tree, the poison tree bears poisonous fruits, right? Um, and out of the fullness of the heart, this is the verse I was trying to think of, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So um, as long as I'm plotting things in my own mind, I mean, that that is not good if I'm plotting evil. 
But as long as it's just in my own mind, Tim, it's, it's only affecting me. But it's through our words, through the things that we say to each other, the, the plotting comes out from me and spreads into the world. So we see a, a progression of the sin from within the person then as to how it comes out of the person right. and how it begins to affect others. And that starts with the person's words. Right. And this is, um, I know I've been on here before with, uh, in the book of James and our listener James is so great because, and it's a good parallel with Proverbs because a lot of, um, a lot of the book of James has a similar kind of, uh, proverbial, um, it's a proverbial sort of genre in the epistle of James. And so you can think of some of the famous passages in James that think that talk about, um, our speech and talk about the tongue as this, um, you know, this thing that sets the world ablaze and on fire. Well, why does that happen? It happens because, um, our words actually have a huge impact and influence on the people around us, right? Words, language. Um, if you control the language, uh, of any situation, you can usually control the outcome. Yeah, I mean, there's that there's that old, well, it's, it's an English proverb, I suppose. It's not from the book of Proverbs that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We probably talked about that yeah. when we talked about James 3. And it it's just not true. I mean, and you see it over and over again here <laughs> in the book of Proverbs that words actually yeah. do have a, a very profound influence on, on yourself and on the people around you to bring and and here Solomon is really bringing out the negative effect of the words that yeah. that it, I mean he even well James picks up this same theme the scorching fire that's the way James speaks as well yeah and I think that that's very helpful for us in thinking about how um, well both aspects what am I what are the words that that I'm hearing that I'm taking in um, how are they impacting my own thinking my own actions. Uh, and also, what are the words that are coming out of my mouth or um, in the, you know, the modern world? What are the words that I'm typing? I mean, you, you just think about how much um, media exposure we almost all have. Um, I told my congregation recently, what would happen if we all took like a, um, you remember reading about monks taking vows of silence? Yeah. I always thought, like, who would ever do that? Um, but now I understand. Now I know. Like, could you imagine a world where things were just silent for like a week? There'd be something kind of, there'd be something a little bit nice about that, wouldn't there? Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm uh, revealing something of myself here. But I think that, that there's a lot of people who would agree with me. It would be nice just to have silence. Mm. Silence. Yeah. The, the amount of words that you can consume is is amazing. I mean you you can fill your your ears or your eyes if you're going to look at it on a screen with words constantly 24/7. And and I think I mean that's part of what Solomon is getting at here with these verses is there is an amount of self-reflection to see am I the worthless man? Am I the dishonest man or the man of violence who is speaking in this way? But there's also the self-reflection am I listening to this person? Yeah. And, and taking that in and then being led along such that I'm separated from my close friends or, or my life is consumed in fire or I'm, I'm being led in a way that is not good. Both things, I think, are at play in these Proverbs. What am I listening to and what am I speaking? I think, I think you're right on. And this gets into kind of more generally the, the, um, the gift of wisdom literature, not just Proverbs, but also, say, Ecclesiastes or the book of Job, um, is to understand, you, it, 
it allows you to um, understand the the world that you live in so that you're not blindsided by things right um so you can think of this in terms of just understanding my own mind i think it's saint paul who says who can understand himself right so we are a bit of a mystery to ourselves and there he's talking that's in romans 7 i I think where he's talking about the struggle within every christian between um the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit right so there's there is a bit of a a mystery there Um, but as you grow in your faith and in your understanding you you start to understand how your own mind works Um, and proverbs does that not just for me as an individual thinking through how am I living? How am I thinking? But it also helps you think about human nature, the, the, the nature of the created world around us, um, and what it means to live in, um, in God's world. Now, how does, how does verse 30 fit into this progression, or, or does it? Because particularly the second half of the verse speaks about actually pursing your lips, so, so staying quiet, but that too can bring evil to pass. How does, how does verse 30, does verse 30 fit mm-hmm. into this progression? How, does, how do those things go together? Yeah, so 30 says, and, and I don't know, maybe you have some insight onto the pursing of the lips, but if we take it as parallel to the first half of the verse, I think that can help us. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. So I have I have little kids, Tim, and um, I like to joke around with them. And one of the things kids love is you you tell them something, but you wink, mm. and so they they know they're on the inside. Daddy is um, not serious about this. So uh, you know, just to use a, a silly example, I'll say, now none of you can have dessert tonight, and I'll wink at you know my oldest son, and so he he knows Daddy said one thing, but he means the opposite. Okay, well the person who is um, who is always winking is uh, just a, a blatant deceiver, is a blatant liar. Um, they're saying one thing publicly, but they mean the opposite, or they mean something else, maybe not necessarily the opposite, but you've got sort of the public speech and then the private intention. And I think the pursing of the lips must be, I, I don't know enough about what that means there, but I would take it as parallel um, and just say it, it's a further way of, of saying the same thing. This is the sign of someone who is tricking you. Yeah, I, I would definitely connect the two. And maybe the matter of uh, the connection is the idea of, of scheming together that that when you're you're because I think you're, you're right on with the image of winking your eye and s- saying one thing, but meaning another, such that the the pursing of the lips is another sort of winking of the eye in the face of of evil. So I, I see my neighbor who's who's plotting evil. Maybe he's the worthless man, the dishonest man, the man of violence. And I just kind of wink my eye at, at what he's doing. And then at the same token, I'm I purse my lips at what he's doing. I don't I don't speak up to sure. stop him. That I guess that's how I would put the two together. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. So I um yeah, you you in that instance, you perceive the evil thing, um, but you're not gonna warn anybody about it. Hmm. You're not gonna say anything. So in that way, you become a, um, what would we say, an enabler of the of the thing. Right. And I think all of, and in that way, then, these these proverbs do go together in terms of speech, that there is a, a time to be silent. But there, well, here's Ecclesiastes, right? I, I don't know. If, is this in Ecclesiastes 3, a time to be silent and a time to speak up? It may not be. But it's along it's that in, same, uh, same line. It's, 
it's in Simon and Garfunkel, so okay. it must be in Ecclesiastes too. I think I think it's the birds who actually sang that. But anyways, that's okay. Oh, is it? I don't know. That's really not our generation. I don't think the, but, the listeners. The <laughs> listeners will tell us. You'll get emails. They will. They will. But there. I mean, just think of the. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of the eighth commandment, really, and the explanation that Luther gives that that there is a time when I need to to be quiet and not slander my neighbor's reputation. But there is a time when I need to speak up in his defense. That that the way I use my lips is is sometimes to to shut them. And it is at other times to open them to speak up for what is good and right. Yeah. And that, so how do you determine that? Well, it's, it's like in the book of Proverbs, um, isn't, aren't there two kind of contradictory, the, the fool answers, um, it's, it's foolish to answer the fool in his, in his folly. But then the very next one says, but you should do it anyways. So, um, there is a time and, and this is what the spirit gives us is the wisdom to know um, when is the right time to speak and when's the right time to be silent? Right. And I mean, that goes back to the very first verse of this section, the way that seems right to a man. We let the Lord shape our way. When When is the right time to speak? When is the right time to be silent? Let the Lord in his word shape that way and direct us in that path of wisdom. Pastor Apple, just real quick here before the break, let's let's pick up verse 31 because it is a, a slightly different topic, but I think yeah. it, it will connect to something on the other half of the the show when we pick up later. Sure. So what's this business? Oh, you of, want me to read yeah, it? yeah. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Yes. So uh, my hair is. I'm 33, Tim, and I just recently have found gray hair in my on my head. So I have attained these things. <laughs> I think the uh, the point here, and this this gets into a biblical view of things, um, is that old age, living out your days. Um, is a, a mark of wisdom. So you didn't die in the, uh, you know, in your youth. You didn't die in your middle age uh, because of foolish choices you made. But again, generally speaking, and there will be exceptions, but generally speaking, if you've lived to the age of um, gray hair, you must have done something right. Mm. And what Proverbs is bringing out is not just, hey, somehow you got lucky and you lived out your life, but you've lived a righteous life, that there are, um, and again, generally speaking, there are rewards for following God's law. The life of the righteous, generally speaking, will be um, blessed by God. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. there's also, yeah, I don't need to give the exceptions. Well, no, I mean, and that's that's something we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs so far, and we'll continue to see that, generally speaking, there are rewards to living according to the wisdom that God gives, old age being yeah. one of them. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 24th. We're studying Proverbs 16, verse 25 through 17, verse 6. We've got Pastor David Appold with us. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. 
If we miss the proverb that you wanted to hear more about, remember that you can call in to the listener comment line, 314-996-1542, or send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Leave us a message there. Let us know what proverb you want to find out more about, whether it's from this text, a previous text, or an upcoming text. And we'll be recording some short podcast bonus material, just short segments that dig into one proverb in particular, if we happen to miss something that you really wanted to hear here on air. Pastor Apple, on the first half of the show, we looked at verses 25 through 31 there in chapter 16. I'm going to read the rest of our text for today, and we'll keep talking. This is Proverbs 16, beginning at verse 32 now. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. That is the rest of our text for today, going all the way through Proverbs 17, verse 6. Pastor Apple, these these Proverbs, at least as I am reading them here again, don't seem to hang together quite as well as we were able to find in the first half of the program, but maybe we'll find some connections as we go through them. We'll just see. just starting there in verse 32 is a very powerful image that's there in verse 32 mm-hmm. talking about I th- I think if I had to talk about it in terms of maybe the New Testament this would be the fruit of the spirit that we would call self-control or self-discipline. Yeah. Right. And uh, um like you said the image is what's so I think helpful with this proverb and this um again we can kind of broaden our scope here. This is in some ways, this is how the proverbs work, right? You, they're—it's almost like they—they're meant to be memorized, and they're meant to be, especially these ones that give you the image. Um, they're meant to be sort of dwelt on and kind of mold over in the mind. So this one here, you've got two men who are presented to you: the one who controls himself, right, the one who's slow to anger, and then you've got the the one who is like a warrior who can take over a city. So which of those two men is the better man, the one who can control himself or the one who can control a bunch of people in a city? And what the proverb points out is it's um, it's much harder, actually, to control your anger than it is to conquer a city. And so the better man um, here speaking here is the one who's slow to anger. Hmm. That's a diff- it's a different kind of might. It's a different kind of power. Um, and I don't know, is it the kind of power that people are going to pursue? Hmm. Probably not. But um, by the Spirit, this is the the better way. Hmm. And I, I think that that fits very well with everything we were talking about on the first half of the program. When it comes to matters of speech, you know, when you talk about what comes out of your mouth, self-control is, is huge there. Even mm-hmm. thinking about what we were saying about old age, how often is self-control related to living a longer life that I sure. prevent myself from doing some of those things that 
might not lend themselves to long life, putting myself in situations that that would lead to a, a quicker end of my life than not. Self-control as, as a as might here really overarches a lot of the other things that we were talking about. How am I going to stay on this path of wisdom, this way that would not lead me to death, instead lead me to life? Self-control is a huge part of that. Yeah, and you can see the uh, the way. So the first half of the Proverbs, uh, it, it gives the particular thing. So controlling your anger, whoever is slow to anger. Um, the second half, just thinking how the Hebrew parallel works here, um, broadens that out from the particular controlling your anger to the universal thing, um, ruling your spirit. So not just anger, but the other passions that might, you know, rise up and overtake us. If you are actually um, in control of yourself, you're able to recognize these things and do what what is appropriate with them. Sometimes it may be right to be angry, um, but other times, most of the time, your anger is probably motivated by something else. Mm, right. I, I do think it's important to recognize self-control as one of the fruit of the Spirit listed there in Galatians 5, because it is a reminder that the book of Proverbs is founded upon the fear of the Lord, that the the wisdom that's given here in Proverbs, while there's going to be, and we've, we've talked about this on other episodes, that there is overlap here with what you might call worldly wisdom, that someone like Mark Twain or someone like Benjamin Franklin or, or older, you know, Aesop's fables, there's going to be overlap between those things and the book of Proverbs. But what makes this book uniquely Christian is that starting place that Solomon gives us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of instruction or the beginning of wisdom. And yeah. and that's true of self-control here, too, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting you say that. the uh, In the book of Acts, there's this um, kind of odd passage, I think especially as Lutheran pastors, it seems odd to us because it gives a summary statement. I wish I had it. I didn't write it down. Um, but it says something about, like, Paul spoke with them about, I can't remember, sin and the resurrection and self-control. <laughs> and, and, mm. and as Lutherans, you know, as Lutheran pastors, you read it and you're like, okay, sin, yeah, we talk about that. Resurrection, absolutely. Self-control, wait, why did he, why was that part of his, you know, common speech? But you think about um, living in the world that we live in, self-control is a, uh, it's hard to come by, it's hard to find. It takes a lifetime to develop these things. And it takes not just human control, but it takes yeah, like you mentioned, divine help. Mm. So speaking of the book of Acts, since you brought it up, verse 33, this is maybe that was maybe not the smoothest connection, but verse 33, the <laughs> lot is cast into the lap. There there are lots that are cast in the book of Acts to make decisions. Yeah. And in, in verse 33, you, you've got this connection about lots being cast and decisions being from the Lord. What What's going on in verse 33? Yeah, okay, so... Um, we should know what casting lots is because we don't, I don't do that. Do you, Tim? I don't I think mean, so. Yeah. So the casting of a lot is um, whether it was, um, well, I'm just trying to think of the common examples, rolling dice or um, picking, you know, who gets the short stick. Right. Uh, the idea is somehow you're leaving the decision about, you know, whatever the, the choice is, whether it's, um, I've got two options. Which one should I pick? Well, I'll roll the dice. And if I get a even number, I'll go with one or I'll flip a coin. That's even better. Who rolls dice? Um, I have a son so, who likes to play Yahtzee. 
<laughs> so the idea there is that when you're when you do that, the decision is outside of your control, right? right? So the lot is cast into the lap, and who's directing the decision? Well, it's just fate, right? Or it's it's uh, nobody is. It's blind luck. It's blind chance. Well, what what the proverb says is that it's from the Lord, and so it's. I mean, what would you think if um, if you met someone who every decision that they made they made by casting lots? Mm. I would I would look at that and I would say, listen, man, uh, the Lord gave you a, a brain, use it, right? Um, but that's a little. I don't think Proverbs is trying here to say we should always and only use lots. But what it is trying to say is um, those who seek the Lord and His counsel and His will for things. Um, that's a much better way of making decisions than just, well, I'm going to look at this according to my personal understanding and what I think is right. Hmm. The the scriptural examples that come to mind for the casting of lots, I mean, I, I mentioned the book of Acts. This is how the, the replacement for Judas is selected. They narrow it down to two, Matthias, who ends up being chosen, and oh, is, it, is it Justice? I think that's his, I think that's his name. And, and they cast lots at that point to let the Lord decide. The other example that comes to my mind is, is the book of Jonah where, where Jonah is identified as the problem on that ship based on the casting of lots. So, I mean, there, there's the examples from scripture, at least. I, I think the point that you made is, is right on that the, and maybe we can connect this to verse 25 again, that, that the idea that, if I'm going to follow my own way as if that as if I'm in control somehow, well then I'm being a fool. And and actually that that casting a lot, trusting in the Lord, would be less foolish than simply yeah. thinking that I'm in charge. To go back, you brought up the book of James. It's in James chapter four where James talks about, you know, you, you shouldn't go around saying, I'm going to do this tomorrow or I'm going to do that tomorrow, but you should say, if the Lord wills, I will do these things. And and maybe that's how you connect here with verse 33 and verse 25 within Proverbs. Yeah, the uh, isn't it in Proverbs 2? Uh, lean not on your own understanding, right. um, but cast your care, or I can't remember the second half of the verse, but that is a common theme that we've seen here. And what we would direct people to is to say, um, you know, you don't, the, the way that you can discern the Lord's will is not simply by casting a lot, but you can look at what he actually says. Right. And so you can, you want to um, keep God's commandments as sort of the, that's the the place that we look to to see what should I be doing in this area of my life. And sometimes you'll get a very clear answer, like I should stop doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but other times there's there's a it's roomy, right? There there is a there's an element of Christian freedom in some decisions. Yeah. You know what what yeah. career should I pursue? Well, I mean there are certainly vocations that would be out of bounds. There are things that that would go against the commandments that God gives as a way of earning a living in this life. And, and so we would say no to those. But within what God does say yes to, there is freedom in that decision. And and is there going to be an exact answer for you in, in this life? Well, maybe not. And that's where this matter of trusting in the Lord comes in 
into play because maybe when you make a decision like, well, what career am I going to pursue? There is an element where it almost feels like casting lots. I mean, sure. certainly you, you take into into account the wisdom of your, your parents, the wisdom of close friends, of trusted Christians, of your pastor, as you approach decisions like that. But but in the end, it, it is the will of the Lord that is, is directing things. And you know he's directing things for your good so that in those moments where it, it may seem like you're casting a lot, you're still trusting in the Lord, leaning not on your own understanding. I looked that verse up from Proverbs 3 while we were waiting. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Appleton, let's let's just keep going here. 17 verse 1. And again, I don't know if there's a way to connect these. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now we've we've gotten a picture of family life here in this verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're you're looking at what uh what makes for a, a blissful home? What makes for domestic bliss? Um, is it, what are the options that are presented here? You can either have a lot of stuff and um, have strife, have anger and conflict, or you can have basically nothing, just a dry morsel. Um, but again, here, go, this goes back to my thing about <laughs> the, the value of silence. Um, the quietness that's described there is not necessarily volume, but there's no strife. There's not hostility between a husband and a wife or parents and children, um, but everyone knows their place and is content in their place and loves the family. That Which of those homes would you prefer? That's what the proverb puts before you. And of course, I mean, we would say, oh, it's obvious. I want the peace and quiet. Um, it's easy to, to say it, but it's much harder when you're actually um, presented with all the, you know, if you can have all the stuff, right? Well, who who's going to say no to all the stuff? Because if you put a, a big piece of, um, if you put a pie in front of me, Tim, um, there's going to be some part of me that says, I want to eat the whole thing. Right. Um, and this is what I think you, you find more common in our day and age. People don't set out to have strife in their homes. I've never had pre-marriage counseling with people. And they said, Oh, pastor, we want to have a, uh, we want strife in our house. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to try to do as much as we possibly can. It's much more incremental. So you keep adding on straw after straw after straw. And eventually, um, the camel's breath, the camel's back breaks, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I see much more common than just the immediate, all of a sudden we have all this stuff. And so we're so busy that we're in conflict all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it happens slowly. Right. And and perhaps it, it happens slowly because of, of what the goal is. Where are the eyes focused? Are the eyes focused on gaining a house full of, of feasting, a, a table that is mm-hmm. full of of food? And again, not I mean, to expand the image, but a, a house that is full of stuff, earthly wealth. Is that where the eyes are focused? If If it is, then it is much easier for that strife to creep in. Whereas yeah. if your eyes are focused on the, the house that is full of peace, the, the keeping of the fourth, the fifth, the sixth commandments, matters of, of, of authority and life and marriage, when, when the focus is there, well, perhaps that won't lead to a house full of stuff. But that, and to go back to what you said about, you know, this is to take up verse 31 again, that, that there is a, a reward to that sort of lifestyle, it may not be the reward of lots of stuff, but the reward of, of peace within the family and in the household is is a great, great joy. Yeah. It's almost like um, 
the what is the purpose of marriage and a family is the purpose to like well if we both if if we can have two incomes instead of one then we can get a lot more stuff right um it it almost becomes this marriage and family life becomes the means to some other end attain the attainment of uh, i don't know what a vacation home or a boat or what whatever what have you um that gets things precisely backwards the 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 marriage, the a husband and a wife and parents and children, that is the end, the home, the home at peace together. That's what, um, that's the goal, not the means to some other goal. Hmm. So this, this imagery of, of household or the setting of household does stick around in a couple more Proverbs. Yeah. Verse two talks about a servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The language is of a household, but the imagery that's there is, is maybe a bit disconnected from our day and age. What do we, what's there in verse two for us, Pastor Apple? Uh, well, so you've got to think a little bit, um, not as a modern, but as an ancient person, just to get the, just to get the image right. So um, there's two kinds of people who live in the house. There's the family, the, the sons, and then there's also the, the servants, those who work there who aren't tied into it. And what the proverb is sort of getting at is, which would you rather be, right? Would you rather be part of the family by blood, or would you rather be, um, you know, just connected to the house through um, your, whether you're a slave or a servant or whatever? And it's interesting because the usually the answer would be, well, I'd much rather be a son than a servant because a son is an heir and is going to inherit the thing. Um, but what the proverb does is show, look, just because of your status as a son, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be faithful. And would you rather be the dishonest son or the faithful servant? Um, Sometimes it's better. How how would I generalize this? Sometimes it's better to um, to not be to not have the status, but to be recognized as someone who is. Um, I guess I'll, I'll use the word worthy. Um, someone who is worthy of trust and who can be trusted with a thing. Hmm. So, and I think I think you're right on that. That it would it's better to be a faithful servant than a foolish son. Or, or a wise servant than a foolish son. Maybe we stick with wise and, and foolish. How do you how do, how do we take that into into account in today's world? Where, I mean, I don't have any servants, Pastor Apple, and I'm I'm guessing you don't either. <laughs> I've I've got yeah. kids. What? How do we take that sort of thinking and and apply it today? Um, I think you could. I think you could see this. Um, maybe not so much in the household, but in, um, in your job. I mean, there is, again, we're, we're in the realm of general speaking generally. So there's going to be exceptions, but generally speaking, the, um, if you're a hard worker and if you do, if you're trustworthy, you will be, um, recognized for that. Right. And it's also true that sometimes, um, people who are just, you know, inherit the next in line, uh, who are over you aren't necessarily that um, they could be totally worthless, right? They could be, they could be foolish people, but um, you will still be recognized for your work. Um, again, we're, we're just speaking gen in general statements here. And so there is encouragement to 
um, what to to keep doing a good job, even if you're not getting all the accolades, if you're not getting all the promotions, there is a reward for your work. Yeah, I, th- maybe and if I can, and, I, and how you apply this to a household today, I'm not entirely sure. But the the place where I want is like, what's what gives you the place in the household? Is it the bloodline, or is it the wisdom? And and a, I mean, a, one who would rule over his household well should be looking for wisdom from the people connected to his to his household, whether that is a son or a servant or, or maybe a friend of your son, you know, how, how you're looking for wisdom from those people. That's what is most important when it comes to the connection to the household. I, yeah. I want to connect it to the, to the church, at least in, in part that it, it's not a, the church, those who are part of the church, it's not about bloodline, physical descent, but it is about, well, faith, right? I mean, we would say it that way probably rather than wisdom, although those things are, are certainly connected. That, that for, the, for the servant who who's maybe sees himself on the outside looking in, it is the path of wisdom that is the, the way in. It's not about the bloodline. I, maybe I, I probably mixed some metaphors there and, and tried to say too much. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, because the uh, the wise servant, it says in the proverb, you actually will share the inheritance. You become like one of the brothers, right? And the shameful son um, is going to be in disgrace. He might have received the inheritance, but he's looked out uh, or he's looked down on. And so in the church, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how to apply it. It is it is difficult. Um, sometimes with these proverbs to say, what exactly is the is the meaning? Does it just mean, you know, work hard, keep your nose to the grindstone <laughs> and you'll get recognized? Or is there some, because I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to say, um, you know, in the New Testament, you get a lot of talk about, um, so we are no longer slaves, but we are sons. And if right. we are sons, then we are heirs. And so you're, you're trying to connect the language of inheritance and sharing an inheritance with, um, you know, the New Testament teaching on, uh, justification by faith. And there may be something there. Right, right. Yeah, that that is the connection I'm trying to make. We've got just under five minutes here, Pastor Appold. And, and you, if you want to go to a different one, that's fine. But I just looking at the verses that we haven't talked about, verse six sticks with the household and does come to a theme that we brought up on the first half of the program, the idea of, of old age. Here, not the image isn't gray hair, but the image is, is grandchildren. Grandchildren are the mm-hmm. crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father. So once again, we've, we've got this, the idea that, that long life is a blessing given to those who walk in the way of wisdom, and it's particularly connected then to children and grandchildren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jesus says something very similar to this. Jesus says, I think it's in Luke, that wisdom shall be justified by her children. Hmm. And um, I think that that is what this proverb is saying, too, or the first half anyways, that, um, how does it go? Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. So um, you can see this. The uh, We talk about um, people having their children or their grandchildren or their pride and joy, um, but they're also sort of a demonstration um, of what have you taught your kids? What have you taught your grandchildren? Um, so let me just give a personal example. My, my, when we would go on vacation, we're from Michigan and we would always go to the same spot up North in the upper peninsula. And we would go to on Sunday morning. Um, we would always go to this little Lutheran church. I think it was called faith Lutheran church. And when we went, um, 
this was with my dad's side of the family. So um, we would we would double the size of the congregation when we would go because there was like 35 or something of us. And we're all Lutherans. And it was just great because we would look at, you know, my grandpa and my grandma and we would say from those two people came these 35. And by God's grace, um, they had all been preserved in the faith, not just in the family, but um, in the in the Lutheran faith. And it was so cool to see that. And I know my grandpa, uh, that was something that he would talk about, that his the best part of vacation was going to church together and being surrounded by his grandchildren, worshiping the Lord, receiving Holy Communion. That was always such a such a neat thing. And that's what the proverb is saying. Your ch- your children and your grandchildren display they are your crown because they display what you've taught them. Mm. Pastor Abel, with just a real quick minute, we've talked about a variety of topics today. Tie this together in terms of Christ. How, how does Proverbs, this section in general, point us to Christ? Well, uh, Jesus talks about being greater than Solomon. And so the, uh, the teaching of Christ is the teaching of, uh, of true wisdom and uh, the life of Christ is the display of, you know, the perfect path of wisdom. There is no folly in his steps. There's no folly in his teaching. And so I think for those who, for those who follow Christ, there is this wonderful promise that you are walking in the way of wisdom. And uh, when we talk about following Christ, what we mean by that is living by faith. Um, by faith, we are given this gift of wisdom, and by faith, we walk in the way of wisdom. And that has its rewards in this life, um, but it also has the promise of, uh, of eternal glory when there really will be no doubt about it. There will be no question about what kind of reward comes for the, the wise in Christ. Pastor David Appold is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 through chapter 17, verse 6. Pastor Appold, thanks for being our guest today. Yes, thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.